Welcome everyone to the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision by guiding them to profitability. Let's go. You're listening to episode 175, and today we have Aaron Lowry. Aaron is the author of Broke Millennial, Stop Scraping By and Get Your Financial Life Together, and is currently working on her second book, Broke Millennial Takes on Investing, A Beginner's Guide to Leveling Up Your Money. Her first book was named by MarketWatch as one of the best money books of 2017, and her style is often described as refreshing and conversational. Erin's appeared on CBS, Sunday Morning, CNBC, and Fox and & Friends. She has written for Fast Company, Cosmopolitan Magazine, and Refinery29, and a whole bunch of more. There is a ton of accomplishments that this young professional uh, has accomplished, but Erin currently lives in New York City with her partner and their spunky rescue dog, Mosby, right? That's right, and you might hear him a little bit in the background. I apologize in advance. And you and you take a lot of pictures of Mosby as any I dog do. mom would, right? Yep. Um, so, Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So, before we get into the heavy hitting questions about being a broke millennial, I'm sure there's uh, context to that. Um, but we have to talk about something a little bit more important than all that, and that's food. So my first question to you is imagine you just had the absolute best day of your life. Where are you going to eat and what are you going to order to make your day complete? Does it have to be near where I live or can it be anywhere it in the world? Be, it's the best day ever. So it okay. could be anywhere you want it to be. Because it would probably be in Kobe, Japan, mm. getting myself some Kobe beef. Not bad. Because that is some of the best food in the entire world. Well, I actually have a question about that, and I'm going to save it for later. Um, okay. But I'm I'm really excited to explore your answer. So we're gonna we're gonna okay. revert back to that. The first real question uh, on the podcast today is: Tell me about a time that you felt lost or blind in business, and how did you overcome those obstacles? I'm going to be totally honest about this. I fly by the seat of my pants damn near every day. What's your swearing policy, by the way? Because I can rein it in if you, you can, need me you to. You can go, okay. go crazy if you, if you like. Probably should have asked. <laughs> um, I won't go too crazy. But I do feel that nearly every day there is some element of feeling like I'm flying by the seat of my pants. And what I have been very bad at doing as an entrepreneur is building a team and creating systems. And that is something people tell you time and time again that's incredibly important, and it is. I just have not been effective at doing it because, one, it's a bit of being type A and a control freak and feeling like, oh, I can just handle this. And two, it's also a bit of being miserly and feeling like, I don't want to pay someone else to do this. I can do it. Where I have outsourced a lot of things in my personal life. Laundry, for instance. I live in New York City. I don't have washer-dryer. So I outsource that. I even have outsourced, you know, doing those food prep kind of companies so that I don't have to think about dinner. So personal life I outsource, professional life I haven't been as good. So I would say one of my biggest failures that I'm even still currently struggling with is figuring out how to build a team, how to put systems in place so that I can achieve more. Because 
I shouldn't be the person that's handling all the day-to-day minutia of scheduling and micromanaging social media, except for Twitter. I love being the person that's handling Twitter. (laughs) But everything else, those are things that I could outsource. Even down to, I write the blog post, but someone else handles, you know, formatting it, uploading it, putting the picture on it, all that jazz. So that to me is really a big area for any entrepreneur and where I currently am still failing and trying to figure out how to improve. Yeah. So you, I would say, uh, Aaron, that you're kind of living the dream when it comes to uh, entrepreneurship. A lot of people um, would love to have a following. They would love to have a book. You know, you have all of these things. And so you may not be necessarily there yet from a systems and a process uh, level. Um, How did you get there? How did this broke millennial ideology, this, this brand come about? Um, and, and we'll start from the beginning and kind of work our way up to, uh, to, to current day. It's a mix of serendipity and luck and a lot of hard work, which is true for, I believe, anyone really. But going all the way back to the very, very beginning, I, when I started the blog, which is where Broke Millennial as a concept originated, I was, I was living in New York City. I've lived in New York City since I graduated college, been about seven years now. And I was around a year and a half out of college. So my very first job in New York City, I worked for as a page for The Late Show with David Letterman, which, and then I was also a barista and, oh, here's my dog. I was also a barista and a babysitter. So I worked three jobs, hustling all the time, made about $23,000 that first year. Next year, I went into public relations where I was making a whopping $37,500 and feeling flushed with cash because that was such a huge bump from the 23 and just having to work one job. And I had insurance, which was amazing. At that time in my life, though, I was feeling very creatively unfulfilled. And I had been out to drinks with a friend of mine. And we were sitting down over kind of a sober up cup, cup of coffee, if you will. And she was lamenting how much she hated her new job. And I said, you know, I don't really get it because you moved to New York City to be an actress. And at the time we were 23, I said, you don't have student loan debt. You're not married. You don't have a kid. You don't have credit card debt. Like this feels like the time to pursue that kind of a dream. You can be a nanny or a waitress, whatever, make ends meet. And she looked at me and said, I just hope I have enough money at the end of the month. Mm. And that's how she dealt with money. Very naive of me to say, I grew up in a house where we talked about money all the time, not in a way that was a source of tension, but just as a way of control. You know, it wasn't a taboo topic. It was a very comfortable thing. So even when I was only making $23,000, I felt very comfortable and confident in my ability to handle my financial situation. And her saying that in this light bulb kind of going off about how other people relate to money is what inspired me to start the blog. And I picked the moniker Broke Millennial, not just because at that time in my life, I was not making very much money and living in a very expensive city. It was more of a generational feeling. You know, I constantly was were hearing other millennials, especially people with a lot of student loan debt, saying I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke. So it's never really been about me specifically, but more of a generational way to describe how people were feeling. You being one of the, I'd say, leaders of the millennial pack uh, in business and entrepreneurship, um, what are your overall thoughts on the millennial generation and what we're doing to the world of entrepreneurship, what we're bringing to society? I'm very bullish on millennials. And I mean, one, I am one. And it is a time-honored tradition to shit on the next generation of people. So we will turn around and do it to Gen Z, I promise you. Just 
give them about 15 more years, and they'll be think pieces left and right about how Gen Z is terrible, and they won't do this, they won't do that. Because if you look back in any publication, when the next generation was coming of age into the workforce, that's what you saw. The themes vary a little bit, but there's always some level of they're narcissistic, and they're lazy, and they don't have the same work ethic as the generation prior. It's just what happens. So I think we have been dealt a different hand financially and even definitely socioeconomically. Student loans are such a game changer for our generation, but we've adapted in a very interesting way. And to a degree, the amount that we have to side hustle breaks my heart a little bit that you, it seems like you can't just have one job anymore. But on the flip side, that's a way to essentially help recession-proof your life. Because if you have more than one income stream and one goes away, at least you still have something coming in. So if you get laid off by your company after 30 years of work, you know it's not this feeling of all of a sudden I'm without anything. I don't even know where to go. At least you have something and you can hopefully figure out a new way to be an entrepreneur. But on the only thing that makes me wary, being self-employed is hard. And I know it looks glamorous on social media, but there's a lot of work that goes into this. And so I think people shouldn't consider it a failure if you want to just have a traditional job and work a nine to five and just have one job and do that job until you retire. That is okay. You do not have to join the fire movement where you're trying to retire at 35. You do not have to have a million side hustles. You don't have to be self-employed. And there's almost this mantra happening right now that if you go the traditional path, well, something's wrong or why would you do that and I think it's completely a-okay to want that level of stability and comfort yeah I mean I, I see that too I mean there's a lot of people on the social medias of the world and they're posting about the things that they have or the things that they want or etc um, why do you think that uh, this is just more so a fun question like why do you think that is why do you think that we as millennials have this ideology that we need to retire early and we need to make a lot of money um, and we can't have this traditional nine to five. There's a ton of entrepreneurs nowadays using keywords like hustle uh, mm -hmm. on a repeated basis. What are, what are your general thoughts about that? First of all, I'm starting to hate the word hustle. Oh, yeah, I, I've hated it the day that it, uh, I, I heard it six times a day. Um, it's, it's such an overused word. I'm, I, I am absolutely uh, hate that word, but anyways, go on. Well, it also kind of condemns the times that you want to just relax yeah. because it makes it seem like if you're not constantly grinding, you don't want it badly enough or you're mm -hmm. doing something wrong. Um, I can let you know that an hour before this podcast, I was sitting on my couch watching a TV show because sometimes <laughs> I need to just unplug. And I also work odd hours. I tend to work very late into the night. So I don't work on what is really a normal business cycle because I can, I guess. But that's also not completely healthy for me. Um, and I don't like this rhetoric of if you you know, aren't working multiple jobs and you aren't constantly hustling, something is wrong or you don't want it badly enough. And like, you can still relax and take time off and unplug. It's best for your mental health if you do so. So that's definitely one element of it. Um, you know, in terms of why the rise of this, uh, the internet certainly plays a factor because now we have access, easy access to all these stories, especially from a media perspective. They are such great clickbait. I mean, I'm not going to knock clickbait headlines. I use them on my blog from time to time because uh, it gets people to open it. That's kind of the point. 
but I'm really tired of hearing about them because it always kind of comes down to the same theme, especially in fire. It's very rare that you hear, I was a public school teacher and I had $50,000 of student loan debt. And five years later, I was retired doing my public school teacher job. It's usually some variation on, I was making six figures, switched my lifestyle, saved 70% of my income, then I retired. And they don't really retire. Yeah. And I know I'll get called the retirement police for saying this, but <laughs> it's a losing battle to try to rebrand the term retirement. Instead, it's it's a lifestyle switch. It's a career switch. It's doing kind of what I do. You're being you know self-employed and you might write for outlets and do public speaking and what have you. It's just a different way to make money. So it's also okay if that's not the path you want to go down. But sometimes if you get into the bubble of constantly getting fed the message that this is the right way to do it, otherwise you're just a mindless consumer or you're, you know, you're not opting out of the matrix, however you mm -hmm. want to put it. It's okay to be traditionalist in some ways too. Like, yeah, I mean, don't so, let them get you down. Absolutely. And you started your blog, what, how many years ago? Five and a half. It was oh. January of 2013. And so you've been going at this for five, five plus years. And mm -hmm. I'm sure you're not going to be stopping anytime soon. So to the people that are trying to grow their audience, that are trying to live a lifestyle very similar to yours, or just trying to spread their message out there, do you have some techniques, some advice that you could share with us that we could apply to our businesses, to our personal brands today? Don't quit your day job. <laughs> and what I mean by that is do it as a side hustle before you launch into it full time. Mm -hmm. I know a handful of people that have jumped right into it and found some success, but I would say that is certainly the exception, not the rule. I worked in, you know, not corporate America per se, but I worked traditional jobs until about two years ago. So three years of doing Broke Millennial on the side before it felt comfortable enough to launch mm -hmm. into this full time. And frankly, the site does not make any of my revenue. That's not where I make my money. I make my money from speaking engagements and writing and then the books. So it depends on what you want your financial situation to be. I think a lot of times you'll get bloggers and they go on and on about passive income off their websites. That's never been my focus and it's not at all how I create my revenue. Great for some people. It's not what worked for me. I didn't want to focus on SEO. I didn't want to focus on writing that way. And that kind of brings us to building a following. I did it in a very different sense. There wasn't a whole lot of, here's the playbook that you're meant to follow. It was a lot of seeing what worked and very storytelling. You'll even see in my books, I'm incredibly storytelling in nature, which was a very different way to approach money. I also started at a time where almost everyone that was in the personal finance niche was married, living in the Midwest with 2.5 kids. There was not really a single woman living in an urban environment talking about finance. So that was a differentiator. Now there's a ton of us and I'm about to get married. So I'm about to branch off and become one of the, the people who you don't necessarily You're one of them. hear from. Yep. Um, so I, I mean, I'll still live in a city, so I guess that makes me a little different. But for me, it definitely was a bit time and place, and that was something that made me different. And the fact that I was very storytelling and not preachy and not saying, you know, this is the only way to do it. I certainly like to recognize the shades of gray when it comes to your personal finances. Um, you know, there's nothing revolutionary about my book. 
in the sense that uh, I'm not coming with a brand new concept of how to handle money. It's just a different style of how to express it to people and get that across. Um, yeah, and I would say the other thing is I was me. I, I think when you hear me talk and then you read the book, it sounds like the same person and definitely so on social media. And I tried to, from the beginning, always be very honest about my background and who I am and where I come from and acknowledging things like my privilege. I think that helped build the brand as well. Um, I show when I screw up, I like to show things being messy and acknowledging that it's not always easy and glamorous. And sometimes they're, oh, just on that note, the idea that if you work a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life is utter bullshit. I love my job, but some days it is nothing but work, and it's hard, and it's a drag. And when you're self-employed, you are also HR and accounting and tech support and every other job. So it can be just days of going through invoices and dealing with all the stuff you don't want to be doing. So that's a lie. You don't have to feel passionate and love with your job every single day. Hmm. Yeah, and that and that's great. I, I love your the your humanistic approach, and it it goes uh, it's shown throughout your social media. Um, if somebody were to want to do what you do, um, do you have like fundamental, just basic stuff? Is it like? And I'm not. And 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 I hate the cookie cutter stuff, right? Because I think you have to prove and you have to show your own. Be your have your own voice. Um, but what do you think was that, like, do you remember that mark, that day where you're like, now, now stuff's about to get real? Was it the book? Was it a particular following? Was it the uh, a number that you hit on your blog? It was the book. And um, the amount of imposter syndrome I felt from that was very intense. And I can get into that in a second. But what you just said about voice, to me, is critical. And anytime there's a, a, you know, a rookie blogger or a writer who comes up and asks something, I said, that's really my biggest piece of advice is, I'm sorry it sounds cliche, but you have to have your own voice because otherwise, why is someone there reading you? What makes you different? And it's not that your story has to be so intensely different than everyone else's because honestly, it won't be. Someone else has already had some similar variation of your story. There's just so much content out there. But how you write it and how you approach it should be unique to you. I want to feel like I'm having a conversation with you when I'm reading your site or reading your blog or your book or listening to your podcast. So that's the first thing. The other thing is if you just straight up from a practical playbook side want to get a book deal, you need to build a following. Because publishers, if you want to go traditionally published, you can completely go self-published. I wanted to go traditional because it definitely gives you a level of credibility that self-publishing unfortunately does not. Self-publishing can make you more money though, so it depends on what your goal here is with your book. Mm -hmm. But if you kind of want that feather in your cap, traditional publishing, especially if you get with one of the major publishing houses, is a great way to do it. But the publisher, especially if you're an untested first-time author, they want to see that you have a strong social media following. They want to see that you can get your own media so that you're getting covered by the press those kind of things really do make a big difference. So you need to work on that if that's an end goal for you. I find living in a major city very helpful to achieve all these things. I'm not telling you that you have to up and move to New York, <laughs> but you know, that is proximity does make a big difference. Mm -hmm. And for me, I know it has helped me achieve what I've achieved because I also can go to events where there are major players there that I can then network with and make contact with. And that's not something I could do if I lived in a smaller city or town. And that's not to say that it's, you know, give up if you don't live in an urban environment. Sure. I'm just saying that that it does make it easier. Um, 
What are other things for and consistency? Yeah. Now, I definitely on the blog have not been consistent lately, but that's because I'm always putting out content in other ways. Sorry, I got to adjust headphones. Um, so I have a YouTube show that's a once a week show. I'm constantly on social media. I unplugged for about a week when I went to Ireland with my fiance and I had messages like, are you alive? Mm. So <laughs> you want that kind of reaction. How dare you for fire. not touching social media <laughs> for one whole week? <laughs> And I don't think I announced, like, I'm going off because some people do that. So, like, you know, I'm going to take the next week off and folks understand. But if you just kind of go silent, sometimes people think something's wrong. But you kind of want to be in that position where you put where out so care. much regular yeah. content <laughs> that people do care. Um, yeah, I would say that those are the main parts. And also, pick what works for you. I think that it's really easy to try to just exactly replicate what someone else has done. And for instance, with blogging specifically, everybody went bananas over Pinterest about three years ago and we're trying to figure out the algorithms and doing that to boost metrics. I was like, I don't want to play this game. I don't care. Pinterest does not interest me. I don't, even if it would drive half a million clicks to my site every month, the amount of effort this would take, I'm going to pour this into Twitter because I enjoy Twitter. It's genuine interactions with Mm -hmm. people. And that decision for me paid off. But for other people, especially people who are more focused on passive income and affiliate links on their blog, going Pinterest paid off because now they make a bunch of money. So mm-hmm. it really depends on what the end game is. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, you know, Aaron, it's it's a it's time to shake the conversation up a little bit. Um, and right before we got on to this conversation, uh, this interview, I did some research and I stalked a little bit. And I found some pictures on your Instagram that I uh, that I have some questions about. And so, um, are you ready to explain that, Graham, Aaron? Yes, let's do it. I feel uh, like I should cool. pull up my Instagram so I know exactly to what you are referring. Oh, absolutely. I have the pictures I'm right here. Get so ready. Don't, don't you worry about <laughs> that. Um, this picture in particular is uh, the 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 line says 13 months later, and broke millennial is still front facing at bookstores around the country. And it's just a picture of, I believe you took this and you're in like a Barnes and Noble or something like that. And you're just like looking at your book. Um, what is that feeling like uh, just being able to walk into a bookstore and seeing something that you poured your, your blood, sweat, heart and tears all over? It feels great. But to me, what is interesting and I think kind of a hallmarker of an entrepreneur There's a great picture that was taken, I haven't put it on Instagram yet, at my book launch party that someone took, um, I think my dad was giving a speech and it's kind of my reaction while he's talking. And the look on my face, you can definitely see that I'm thinking like, okay, what's next? Mm. So that was a very interesting part of the book process is you're kind of done way before it hits shelves in terms of writing it. And let me tell you, promoting a book is way harder than writing a book. Just something that you should know, uh, anyone who's interested in doing it. But as soon as it hit shelves, my next feeling really was, okay, I want to get the next one out. Because this is kind of terrible to say, but I almost feel like anyone can do one, but not everyone can do two. So Mm -hmm. I want to be able to do two. Mm -hmm. And it feels great to have that out there, but I'm so excited to see two of them next to each other. Yeah, and about that picture specifically, someone actually took that picture and sent it to me. So also in terms of building a following, interact with people. Because anytime somebody sends me a message on Instagram, I respond to them. That's awesome. Um, now, you mentioned that you don't like systems or you're not good at systems and processes and procedures. 
However, I would disagree to some level. Um, <laughs> so on your Instagram account, there is such a organizational way that you function. And I was just going through and I noticed that and I just wanted to hear why. Um, but like, I think you should give yourself a little bit more credit. There is some organization there. There are some processes and procedures. Um, is that how your mind works? This like systematic, like one line approach of like, I posted a regular picture now I need to post Twitter. Uh, so interesting you bring that up. That exists as an effort to force me to post on Instagram more mm. because interesting. I don't take a lot of pictures that I would feel other than of my dog. I don't <laughs> take enough pictures that I feel like, Ooh, this is going on the gram. So about eight months or so ago, I knew I needed to get better about posting on Instagram because again, I wasn't being consistent back to the idea of consistent. I was trying to build a following on Instagram, but I wasn't being consistent about it. Mm -hmm. So one of my micro goals for 2018 was to post at least three times a week. I don't always do it, but that was the goal. And then I knew that if I had a, a system in place of you do one of each of these, it would help me be able to figure out like, okay, so today you're going to post a tweet. And then I'd scroll back through my tweets and see what had gotten a lot of traction lately and usually post that. Um, the other thing too, is that when I was looking at Instagrams that I personally liked and that had a lot of following, they did tend to have some sort of format to them mm -hmm. and they were very pretty. And it just from, you know, a visual aesthetic, I really liked that look. Mm. So it was a mixture of what I personally like, but also it created, it forced me to actually update. I've, I vibe with it. I dig it. I might, uh, I might use my interpretation of that, uh, myself. Um, and this one is Thursday today. So this kind of timely, uh, TB hashtag TBT to last week when I was still revisiting my childhood home and filling up my heart and memory bank with as much of Japan as possible. Uh, and this is just a picture of Japan, um, uh, a temple from what it seems like. And you mentioned Japan. Yeah. Tell me the history of Japan. Like, why is it so important to you? So I grew up in Asia from ages 10 to 18. So when I was middle of fifth grade, my family moved to Kobe, Japan. And then when I was going into my junior year of high school, we moved to Shanghai, China. And my Very sister cool. was seven through 18 living in Asia. So she really didn't grow up in America much at all. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so I was an expat kid, nothing to do with military. My dad works in the lithium industry, so that's what took us over there. Um, went to international schools. A lot of my closest friends are still from that phase of my life. So it's just, I'm actually going back to Shanghai in January. So it's just, um, to me, where I grew up, you would never know by looking at me. But yeah. I did not spend most of my adolescent years in the United States. How do you think that um, helps you become who you are today? Definitely changed a lot of, I'm sure, how I otherwise would interact with the world. I think to a degree, being an expat kid forces you to grow up in a very different way. You um, can compartmentalize in ways that perhaps aren't the best in terms of uh, mental health, but you're so used to people coming in and out of your life all the time because people are constantly moving and you're moving a lot. That's one thing for sure. So you, you learn how to control your emotions very well, which helps me with trolls, actually, <laughs> I have realized. And They're like the best you, and worst thing about the internet. <laughs> it's, uh, it's true. Um, and I would say, too, it exposed me to a lot in terms of 
you know, I'm not going to disparage our country, but I know a lot more than just my small bubble and my small part of the world. And I had the opportunity to travel a lot growing up. And I also lived in a two countries where most people didn't look like me. So that also just gives you a very different sense of how you move through the world. So yeah, yeah it changed a lot of how I interact with everything around me and how I think. Very cool. Uh, just that I always say that anytime you have the opportunity to travel or experience somebody else's culture, you immediately gain uh, so so much valuable information and a part of you, um, you shed variations of, of yourself in order to become a better person. So um, really, really cool to hear that story. Um, I have two final questions. And the next one that I'm going to ask is relatively personal. I'm going to put you on the spot, but I want just a real and honest and raw answer. What is your dream? I struggle with that one a lot because I know to some degree it's monetary. I definitely want to be many, 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 many millions over in in my net worth. Um, I actually have vocally said that I want to be able to join the Tiger 21 Club, which if you don't know what it is, look it up. It's very interesting. But you have to have a minimum 10 million net worth to buy into that. Mm. Not that it costs 10 million to get in. That just has to be your net worth minimum to get in. Mm. And um, so, yeah, so I guess my net worth minimum is 10 million, which Mm. is big. I want to be able to continue living in New York City and afford a lifestyle that I feel is comfortable and that I could raise a family here is another big one. But in terms of business, I would love to be a hugely in-demand keynote speaker and author where I want to keep churning out books. I want there to be an entire suite that kind of hits every millennial life milestone as we age, be one of kind of the talking heads that goes on the TV shows to you know, discuss millennial finances, wouldn't mind having my own TV show perhaps at some point in the future or radio show. I really actually want a radio show. (laughs) Nice. That sounds awesome. Um, radio, listen, it's, it's, it's parts and elements of it are coming back because of how important the podcasting world are. So, um, I hope that the people that are listening today, they could find a way to help you achieve that dream. And thank you for being honest with us today. Um, my final question and maybe I don't know how you want to uh, go with this question, whether you want to go the route of um, giving advice uh, with your brand, Broke Millennial, um, or if you want to just give it, uh, advice to the general public. But the Blind Entrepreneur, it was created for people who are temporarily lost or blind in business. So to those individuals, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to a fellow entrepreneur? Again, you can speak to the millennial or you can speak to the entrepreneur. Completely up to you. I think the first thing I would ask is what currently excites you and why? And that's something that you shouldn't start a business because you think it will make money. Hmm. And that really goes back to my initial thing about blogging. Anytime, you know, I talk about having a voice, but I also say if your aim is to just have passive income and to make money, you're going to flame out really quickly Mm -hmm. because it takes so much work. So what is it that does genuinely excite you? But my follow-up to that would also be if there's something kind of maybe it's a side hobby that you love and you really enjoy and people tell you all the time that you should monetize it, only monetize it if you're willing to have it stop being something that just brings you pure joy and fulfillment. Because as soon as you monetize something and it becomes work, it's a very different emotional experience. Mm -hmm. Like for me, writing used to just be a stress release. Mm. 
not so much anymore since I have deadlines and I'm paid to do it and therefore the quality has to be of a certain style. So just that's another thing to consider. And third, I would redefine failure for yourself. It's good to fail. It's important to fail. We learn a lot in failure. But I also fear the rhetoric that if you leave a job and you become an entrepreneur and you go back to a full-time job, you somehow have regressed and failed. And it could simply be that you left a job, you tried full-time entrepreneurship, and it was not a good fit for you, whether that's your mental health or the way you like stability in your life or the amount of money that you want to be making. And it's not... Uh, an indictment against your character or your ability to be successful for you to return to the traditional workforce if that's something that you realize is a necessity. And I think every entrepreneur at some point considers that because you wonder when if you can re-enter and two mm. elements of that would be nice. Yeah, And that's okay. Beautifully said. And thank you so much for your time this morning and talking to us about your, your experiences uh, in business. It really means a lot. And I'd like to just give the next 30 seconds to promote whatever it is that you have going on. Tell people how they can learn more about you, how they can learn more about your journey, uh, and potentially buy a book, your first book, your second book, whatever it may be. Sure. You can go to my site, which is brokemillennial.com. I'm on Twitter as Broke Millennial. Instagram is Broke Millennial Blog. And you can find Broke Millennial, the book, pretty much wherever books are sold. Definitely Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Powell's, a lot of the indie bookstores, and probably your local library. And if they don't have it, you should ask them to get it. <laughs> and yeah, look out for book number two, all about investing, especially it's very much geared towards rookies. So if investing feels overwhelming to you, this is the book for you. Should be on shelves in April of 2019. Very cool. And all of your links uh, will be in the show notes for you and everybody else to view. Uh, to those that are still watching and listening, thank you guys for always liking, commenting, and subscribing. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube and head over to tbeshow.com for more interviews. Go out there and execute your vision, everybody. Have a good rest of your day.